0: What's up, horror fans? Pete here from The lasser Cast, where my partner, Danny, and I talk about the upcoming horror movies uh, that are streaming, that are in theaters. We also talk about streaming shows. And we have been covering this amazing documentary for four weeks now, one month. It's finally come to an end. I'm pretty depressed. <laughs> I am talking about RoboDoc, the creation of RoboCop, which installment for the final installment just dropped on screen Danny are you as depressed as I am
1: it it is very bittersweet uh I watched the I watched through the credits like to the very end uh and it, it had a very similar vibe especially the last like 15 minutes of this episode and this was like a full movie length episode these episodes have been, about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. This was like an hour and 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, this last episode. And the last about 10 minutes or, or so had that, like, you know, we're bringing everything to a close vibe that we've experienced before with the In Search of Darkness and In Search of Tomorrow uh, documentaries. When you invest so long into something, there is a bittersweet part of it when it finally comes to an end. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times that could be, you know, or even like when we're covering a, a series and a, the yeah. season comes to an end, that could be like a professional thing where it's like, all right, well, great. This thing is over. What are we going to do now? But most of the time it's like, shit, I really friggin enjoyed that. And now it's done. But I think one of the nice things about Robodoc is, and I think we mentioned this last week this, like RoboCop, the movie itself, has uh, a, a, a lot of rewatchability. It, it feels yeah. like something that I would, if I'm doing schoolwork in my bedroom, if I'm doing schoolwork in the living room, and I need to just put something on in the background, that it's not going to distract me a, a ton. But that I could always, every 10 minutes, look up and get some enjoyment out of. Right. Uh, This is that. And it is, uh, it's something that I I really wish I would have the hard copy of. I'm going to, you know, try to find, uh, I know that it was available uh, with, you know, I think it was a Kickstarter and and it became a, a bigger deal, but Yeah. Thanks to Screenbox, It's, it's there. Uh, and it's definitely something I'm going to revisit, but yeah, there's, there's always a bittersweet thing when you invest like four to five hours into something that you really enjoy and then it's just, it's over. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been such a fun experience. Every single installment has been great and each thing, each installment has had an awesome story, at least one awesome story, but really multiple stories of like, I never knew that. And that's such an interesting coincidence. And RoboCop almost has this sort of like Ghostbusters level lightning in a bottle where it's just you have all these different factors. You know, you have Paul Verhoeven, you have this original script, this fact that they were going to name the movie Robocop, which is such an absurd title, but could you name this movie anything else? You know, then you have these amazing actors. You have Peter Weller in the suit. You have Ron Bottin making the suit. You have Phil Tippett making this the stop motion or go motion effects. It's just amazing to have all these different factors all together coming to make this one movie. And, you know, this installment has these great, great little anecdotes, just like every other episode. This one was called Murphy and the Machine. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about, because the movie, the documentary has gone in chronological order, right? It's pretty much like scene by scene, the way the movie goes. And now we're, we're kind of reaching that final act of RoboCop. We're getting to the point where uh, Murphy, you know, he gets saved by uh, his partner he takes off his helmet, and the pr- first part I wanted to talk about was when they remove his helmet. Right? It's got that sort of Michael Keaton in Batman Returns effect where you know, where he would take off his cowl and all that black eyeshadow that was always there when he's Batman is not there all of a sudden. Well, in this time, when Murphy takes off his helmet, there's all this black stuff that goes like right up to his chin, it's like kind of black plastic or black metal. And it's just not there at all. And they make a little point of that in this scene. Did you like little things like that? Like little notes like that?
1: I did. I I loved them talking about... Because I always thought that was such a cool effect. We actually saw that same effect this year in one of my favorite... I know probably one of your favorite films of the year too. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Where you have a villain who has the same...
0: Oh. uh, the,
1: the, The effect of the face... Basically as if somebody cut the face off. Yeah. Not John Travolta Nick Cage. Uh right. and then and then put the face on some like a a, a mask and tied it back. Uh yeah. that was like the high evolutionary in Guardians 3 right. this year. Right. And, I, and and I always wondered how they did that effect because it looks so cool. And they yeah, you know, they talk about you know what's missing from the face uh, compared to when the helmet's on, but then they go into the effects of how they do the 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 and how it's really makeup uh, all around, and of course that led into amazing stories of once again Paul Verhoeven right. and uh, the makeup crew and Peter Weller and other members of the crew getting into. Arguments. It feels like there's an alternate reality where RoboCop was a huge flop and everyone involved in the production killed each other. <laughs> uh, and I and I think that this is one of those wonderful stories where because RoboCop was an instantaneous hit, and they show at the very end, you know, even Siskel and Ebert liked it, uh, and and there were lines around the bo- uh, the block at Ch- uh, Man's Chinese Theater in L.A. and because it was such an instant hit it makes those bad feelings kind of dissipate very quickly it's like oh okay tensions were high you know we were at war with each other to make this piece of art but it got respected right away it made money right away and now we can just kind of put everything in the past and laugh about it, which is really what this felt like for five hours. It felt like so many of the cast and crew from Verhoeven to the makeup guys, to the weapons guys, to the actors, uh, to the assistant directors, just being like, yeah, we were at war with one another. We wanted to kill one another. But at the end of the day, we all made this fucking awesome movie that everyone fucking loves. And yeah. Now we can laugh about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It it seems like it was a real ordeal. And there are some pretty amazing stories about how tense it would get. And what's funny is that, like, the guy who was, like, the weapons master, the guy that was in charge of the weapons department, he seemed to be in a few of these interactions, right? The one of story, Oreos. Right, exactly. That's exactly where I'm going. That's exactly where I'm going with this. And, and and what I love about documentaries like this is that sometimes they add, like, sort of, like, cartoon, like, animated footage to kind of show the story they're talking about. And at one point, there is a uh, staff member, a crew member, holding a case of Oreos, but they're called, like, Roboreos or something. <laughs> but um, if, for people that don't know what I'm talking about, first of all, go check out the documentary. Don't just listen to me and Danny talk about it. Go watch RoboDoc. But besides that, this this fucking story is so ridiculous about how the Weapons Master guy is standing with Peter Weller. He's in that makeup that we just described. He's in the suit. It's taking hours and hours to get into it. And uh, that guy just has a stack of Oreos, and he's eating them next to Peter Weller. And Peter Weller, who admits that he was a diva uh, in the making of this movie, like, basically turns to him and says, like, Robo wants an Oreo. And, and um, in a previous installment, they had talked about how Peter Weller always wanted to be called Robo. He was like in character, either called RoboCop or Robo. And the weapons master just wasn't having it. He wanted to call him Peter. They got into a fight. And then eventually, P- Peter Weller is just yelling down to the crew saying, Robo wants an Oreo. And, and, and then the guy actually shoved all the Oreos in his mouth, too.
1: Now, Peter Weller does dispute this. He does say that, but... He also has admitted to being a diva yes. on the set. So yes. I I think I, I kind of side with the weapons master on this story as oh, to yeah. whether it happened. But yeah. it it's just so much shit like that. And yeah. it there like the fact that they were up against the clock with the makeup because uh in like the heat in Texas, it like it would start to bubble. And and like the makeup on the side of the where like the face was peeled down to the side, it would start to like loosen up, and they were like, We gotta get these fucking shots. And right. like Verhoeven would be trying to set up something else and not listening to the makeup guys. So it was, yeah, it was it was Peter Weller versus the uh the weapons master over Oreos, and it was Paul Verhoeven versus the makeup guys over like the timing of the shots. Uh I mean, they go into my favorite story, uh, is them blowing up the 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 the, using those massive guns to blow up the stores on the street and how and and how they're making this announcement to the people who live in the apartment buildings behind the street that they have blocked off please back away from the glass you know you're we don't want you to get hurt and then they would turn to the actors and go okay you guys go over there we're gonna blow (laughs) shit up and they actually That's said right. uh the, the the wrecking crew actors actually said they got stuntman pay for that and there were some scenes where you can see like ray wise and kurtwood smith are like being hit with debris from the explosions and paul McCrean is like a fireball's coming at him at, at one point uh and then yost Vacano, the director of photography during one scene. And it's one of those things where you've seen the movie a million times, but you would never notice it. You brought this up last time about how the next time you watch Robocop, you're going to point out all these things to yourself. A hubcap flies off the car and goes (laughs) over his head. And he's like, Oh God, there's going to be two directors of photography and there's going to be an RIP to me at the end of the credits.
0: That's right.
1: He didn't move and it just went right over the camera. And yeah, it's just amazing stuff like that. all throughout, yeah. And it's stories like that for all four of these episodes. Uh,
0: exactly. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. I wrote that in my notes, the hubcap going over his head. There was another time we could have lost Kurtwood Smith because there's that spike that Robocop uses to kind of jack into computers. And they were saying how that had a very sensitive trigger and it sort of would just pop out randomly sometimes Oh, no, no, it wasn't Kurtwood Smith. It's he, he does stab Kurtwood Smith with it, but it was Paul Verhoeven. They're getting yeah. Robocop ready for the, the final scene with uh Clarence Bottiger. And, and uh, Paul Verhoeven's trying to get the shot ready. And then the spike comes out like an inch away from fucking Paul Verhoeven's eye. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would have been minus one Paul Verhoeven. Or at least he would have had an eye patch, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he would have been you know, even more intimidating.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, you know, it's not all kinds of crazy danger. There's also the fact that I never knew this, but Kurtwood Smith is married or, or was married to the secretary that's uh, for Dick Jones. he flirts office. with
1: openly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very cool. I I like I like hearing. Uh, and again, this is the 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 geek and nerd side of like these documentaries. It's like we eat this stuff up. It's like the all the little behind the scenes stuff uh the woman who played the in, in that scene with uh Bob Morton uh who puts the the cocaine on her <laughs> breast yeah. she has a line towards the end where she talks about how like her son's friends would make comments to her and i'm like oh my god like and then i started to think about like i've met actresses at horror conventions and at festivals who have done nude scenes before and like how awkward that must be. Like when they have children and their children uh, have friends who are like, saw your mom naked and like, you know, like I, I met Barbara Crampton at horror conventions and at festivals and she's a wonderful person. She's so cool. But like, you know, it, there's got to be those awkward moments. And, like, her telling the story, uh, the actress in, in RoboCop telling the story about how, like, her son was like, oh, you were the co-core. And she was like, no, I was a, I was a, an actress. <laughs>
0: she, says, she says I was a model. Yeah, I was a yeah. model.
1: I was yeah, an yeah, aspiring yeah, yeah. model.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that story, too. There's, there's so many fun stories they say as, like, they're talking about their post-RoboCop life, right? There's multiple people that got out of tickets, because cops love RoboCop so much, and they would just always watch RoboCop, and they would recognize all the people in the movie. Like it had such a huge impact. it's funny because, um, you know, we're I think we're potentially finding the end of the uh, strike right now—the writer's strike and the actor's strike. They were in negotiations like yesterday, and um, you know, it, a big part of this strike has been residuals, like people getting paid residuals for. Streaming. Yeah, I
1: thought that was a really interesting thing that they brought up at the end where you know, these actors from 19, they, they were filming this in 86. The movie comes out in July of 87. And here we are 35 years later, almost 40 years later. And and these guys are still getting residual checks. And, you know, you brought it, you just mentioned it. Like uh, this is, you know, you, you have the guy from Breaking Bad, one of the biggest Jesse, yeah. shows, one of the biggest shows in the history of television, talking about how he sees no money from it, despite the fact that it's like, Netflix is using Breaking Bad to get subscribers. And I mean, the whole, but that ties back to everything that RoboCop is about, you know, like, I think it's Peter Weller at the end who makes a point to say, it's like, you know, on the surface, it's this, but then it's also this underneath. Yes, it's a, an action movie. It's a, a cop movie. It's a, a a science fiction cyborg movie, but then it's also a movie about uh, the evils of corporations. It's also a movie about you know privatization and and you know and they make a a comment about how the movie kind of previewed the militarization of the police and and that and to me that more than anything that more than the humor which is amazing that more than the action which is amazing is what makes robocop such a timeless film there are yes. plenty like i'll give you an example commando came right. out in 1985 commando right. is one of my favorite action movies sure. but that's all it is it's a right. fun arnie action movie it's yes. insanely quotable but there's nothing deeper in commando than just Arnold Schwarzenegger making great one-liners and killing hundreds of people. Yeah. <laughs> Robocop. There are, there is an Epic body count uh, blood for days, as we know from Paul Verhoeven blood, blood, more blood. Yeah. But it's, it's all of that sociopolitical commentary it's, it's the, the, the referendum on the 80s and on the Reagan era and really kind of predicting the future that makes yeah. RoboCop such a timeless movie. And, yeah. you know, I, and that's why as much as I love a movie like Commando, it's not RoboCop. Uh, and it doesn't have the following that RoboCop does. You know, yes. I, I, I don't think you can do four hours of behind the scenes stuff on a movie like Commando. And and again, this is somebody who loves it. I'm just it, it, RoboCop is and I think everybody who worked on it would agree. It is something more.
0: Yes. A thousand percent agree. Uh, I mean, obviously, like Paul Verhoeven was really you already kind of mentioned this, but he was really going for that um, Jesus like that sort of that American Jesus Idea. And, you know, there's that one shot they talk about where Murphy comes out and he's going to go uh, confront Clarence Bodiger and he looks like he's walking on water like Jesus, right? Um, there's multiple times throughout this whole documentary, but especially this very last installment, where Peter Weller quotes specific lines from the movie. And it's interesting how a lot of the lines are very simple lines, but because of the way they're delivered or just really what they imply. They have so much depth and, and one of the lines that uh peter weller says is like after he takes off his helmet and he's trying to remember his family he says i can feel them but i can't remember them and peter weller actually says that's the most important line in uh robocop you know because robocop so much of it is about his, like as you talk about obviously that the political themes and stuff are so impactful but i think like even more than the political themes is the idea of like losing your identity or like a corporation taking your identity the machine the world taking who you are to where there's nothing left of you and like what's left of you then and essentially it's like your soul is the only thing that you own yourself and then it comes back by the end of the movie and and one of the things that's really really interesting about this the first of all ed newmeyer who wrote all these great lines of dialogue you know along with his partner uh he talks about how if there was like 118 minutes of RoboCop footage that was filmed, then like 114 minutes are in the movie, right? He says something along those lines. Basically, that they cut like almost nothing out of the movie. It, and, go ahead. Yeah,
1: it. it I, that's so rare because yeah. I think like one of the reasons like DVD became so popular when it came out was all the like, oh, we got to see all the behind the scenes footage and all the the deleted scenes and the, yeah, I just watched a YouTube video. Um, the horror geek is one of my favorite channels to watch, uh, Mike Bracken's channel. And he covered, uh, the lost edition, the lost cut of Event horizon. And apparently like Paul W S Anderson released, like his, his initial, uh, film was two and a half hours and they cut it down to like an hour and 45 minutes. And all that footage has effectively kind of been lost over the last 25 years. And like you said, yeah. there, this, that that's not the case with Robocop. It's like they, Verhoeven was like, here's exactly what we want and fuck it. We're going to get exactly what we want every single day. And he didn't care who right. he had to fight to get it. Um, I thought it was funny that Gene Siskel in his little blurb in the at the end of was like, I guess we have to give most of the credit to Dutch filmmaker Paul Verhoeven. And I'm like, I bet you everyone on set was like, fuck, he was right. Yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> like this fucking crazy guy who's imitating Ed 209 and you know running yes. out into where the bombs are going off. He like who everyone argued with and fought with, and shit, it turned out he was right the whole time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's amazing. His vision was vindicated, right? I mean, Gene Siskel and, and Roger Ebert like just raved about this movie. And it's funny because it, it is like a time capsule watching this documentary too because 1987 or whatever, it's it's the beginning of his American career. And it's funny because they interview him multiple times throughout this documentary and he says that RoboCop is his greatest film. He's he's very impressed by it. You know, like he... he knows that it all clicked. It all worked right here. And I, I love Paul Verhoeven films. I'm a big fan of Starship Troopers. Um, I think basically think basic is a lot of fun. Total, total Recall, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing stuff. But it, it's all about this this movie, this movie and its message. And it's funny because uh, we're talking about things getting cut out and they cut out like little shots and stuff. Like they, they initially cut out the arm getting shot off and stuff. But what's interesting is that there's almost like an epilogue with the news footage, right? Where they have the people at the news desk talking about things and they interview Lewis at the end. And um, they were saying that they cut that with, and, and so the, the very last shot of the movie is like, you know, what's your name, son? And he says, Murphy. And like, I feel like that is such a fucking powerful ending. And that's like a thousand times better than if they had done one last set of those news clips. Yeah. you know. Um, yeah. They were saying that even in like the theater when they watched the premiere, like you know when they showed it, you know the audience was saying Murphy before Peter Weller said Murphy.
1: I yeah, I've I've been in a few theaters uh, in my life where like movies have had like such visceral positive reactions like that, and like I can only imagine how the actors and the filmmakers feel when they're sitting in like a screening of their movie and like the audience just gets it right away. Uh, it's gotta be like the greatest freaking feeling in the world to like, you know, it, yeah. I'd like to, I, it, it, it you know, as somebody who's in education, it's like that rare moment where you're teaching a lesson and like, everybody seems to understand what you're talking about and just get the work. it, it Sadly, it's not, it doesn't happen all the time, but it, it, it's like a vindication of what you do for a living, you know, when yeah, when everybody just, just gets it right away.
0: When it just clicks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, um, I know we kind of have jumped to the end of this, but th- there's a few other things I wanted to talk about. Like one of the scenes, uh, in Robocop that just stands out that I just always think about since I was a kid is the scene when, uh, Emil crashes into the toxic waste and they talk depth in this this documentary they talk about how like um he wasn't originally going to crash into toxic waste then they talk about how when he crashes into it rob Boutine really wanted to make it like he was like leaking and that like you could see his bones and stuff underneath and um it's just such a funny fucking sequence with him coming up to ray weiss and being like help me and ray weiss wants nothing <laughs> to do with him it, yeah 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 they like quote that and then they they show him getting hit by the car, and that was going to get them an X rating of like him being decapitated by the car. But they kept yeah. it in there. They they showed shit. I have his name written down. But there, there was this one executive from Orion that really Metivoy, yes, Mike Metavoy. yeah, yes. And like, thank God for him because they mm-hmm. kept that scene in there. Uh, they they kept so much of the movie in place you know, because of this guy.
1: So much of uh you know we're we're early 80s kids born in the early 80s so these are like our first memories are really like from the 86 to 88 range and so much of the stuff that we grew up with ends up getting impacted like we we learn about it later on by the MPAA um 1987 or 8 was Friday the 13th part 7 which is like infamous for Uh, despite featuring some amazing Jason kills, having almost no blood in it and, and having very little shown on screen because the MPA like gutted the movie. Um, and you hear about this, especially as horror fans all the time and you watch, you know, I, I, when I rewatched it a few weeks ago, uh, when we first started covering this, Uh, that one scene that I noticed that made me realize I was watching the director's cut is when uh, the wrecking crew murders Murphy at the beginning, that amazing shot of like the, the Murphy animatronic. And then the camera zooms behind the head. And in one shot, you see the bullet boom and it cuts to Peter Weller with like the, the bullet hole in his head. That was not in the original movie. It was, you know, because that was, too violent and uh you know policing morality you know that's what the MPAA does and you know I feel like the violence in this movie helps push the themes that the movie is trying to push it's like a rare movie where the violence I think makes it better you know whereas a lot of movies like even horror movies it's like oh you know if it's gore for the sake of gore it's too much, but this movie is trying to push the idea of eighties excess. So how do you push eighties excess? You, you use the most squibs in the history of movies on like the poor guy in the boardroom. One thing I will tell you, this, this documentary series made me more than anything else. Never want to be, have squibs blown up on me. Ronnie Cox talked about how he got sick. Uh, when the squibs went off and that like the guys apologized to him because apparently they used the wrong ones. Uh, That poor guy in the boardroom said it was like the worst day of his life. Uh, Nancy Allen said that it hurt like hell. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even. um, Yeah. That was another great quote that uh, Peter Weller talks about is the the final quote that he says to uh, Lewis, Lewis, they'll fix you. They, they, what does he say? They'll They fix everyone? They
0: fix everything, yeah. Yeah, they fix everything, which is
1: another great line. Um,
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up the Ronnie Cox squib scene, because that did say that to me in this documentary, too, that like it hurt him so bad that he was sick from it. But then, of course, that transitions us to another scene that everybody always remembers. When it comes to Robocop, you remember that guy getting shot in the dick, right? (laughs) You remember uh, Emil melting. And then, of course, you remember long-armed Dick Jones falling to his death, right? Long-armed
1: Dick Jones is a great line.
0: (laughs) Yes, 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 exactly. Thank you. But it's funny because they kind of throw this one guy under the bus for the sequence they talk about this uh matt i
1: will be i will be fair i think he i think he kind of admits to throwing himself under the bus too i think yeah. you know i and i was glad they included him because he it doesn't yeah. feel like they've ostracized him at all like he's part no. of like the fun of it now
0: yeah but yeah
1: keep uh, you keep talking for a second i'm just gonna be i'll be right back so yeah, yeah yeah Uh
0: keep, so, keep talking I mean, about okay, dick so jones long arms dick jones long arms so uh they basically they bring in this guy who's like a matte artist. Like that's his main function on the movie. And they're talking about how he has some stop motion experience. So he sets up this very, very realistic version of Dick Jones, like a, a Dick Jones puppet. And because of the shot, the way they shot it, I can't remember if it's the lens or the angle, but whatever it is, the reason like he has these long arms is because of the way that they shot it. And they they do this cool thing in the documentary where they do like a side-by-side. Uh, comparison, and they show one version. It's the same exact shot. It's the same puppet, but they show this one version where his arms are really long and awkward like that, and then they show another version where his arms aren't that long. And, and Obviously, you can see what that guy was going for. The puppet itself of Dick Jones is amazing. Like It looks just like the friggin' actor, Ronnie Cox.
1: Yeah. it, it Another thing that you just... You're just continually impressed and just sh- blown away by the practicality of the effects and how they incorporate these various art forms at once. It's like you have RoboCop walking in the background in this practical suit made by Rob Bottin. And then they right. have uh, ED-209 superimposed as a mini, a miniature filmed and then superimposed on top of uh, RoboCop walking in the background and then they do that scene where like he hit f- the legs fall down and he does like the little doggy flip with his toe.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and like, you know, with the, even with the, as as weird as it is, the, 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 that, that scene with the puppet of Dick Jones, the idea of creating a friggin' mini puppet of a character to, to do that one effect, you know, even though it yeah. ended up a little wonky, it's just this, how they did that. And then, and again, it's like you. This movie came out thirty-something years ago. They're using smoke and mirrors and practical effects and and all of these things, and and these various art forms from Phil Tippett, go motion, stop motion, to you know this compositing and superimposing. And and then you watch a movie that comes out in twenty twenty three that costs a hundred times the budget, and it looks like green screen digital effects and you know it, it, it it's depressing like that's why whenever a movie comes out today that has practical effects i feel like there's a, a section of the horror community or the genre community that just runs to that movie and we we saw this last year one of our favorite movies was uh pg psycho Gorman and steve steven's uh K- kostanski and the astron six gang and the absolutely wild practical effects that they did miniature work, uh, practical puppetry, all of these insane uh, foam latex costumes that they built for that movie. And the budget wasn't even that high. Nope. And then and then you look at a movie that we covered here, I think, The Void, uh, which was also done by, you know, uh, Ashton Six's team did the effects there. Right. I mean, are the movies always the best movies no but you remember those movies and you you share your appreciation of those movies whereas like you get the big studios like DC and and Marvel making these th- 200 to 300 million dollar blockbusters with effects that are like ridiculed across the industry and it, yeah. it it's baffling
0: yeah yeah i mean obviously there has been a shift and it's not Necessarily always for the better, right? Um, and, and like I said, I, I've said this a couple of times today. This is like this is like lightning in a bottle, and you have all the people that are in front of the camera, and then you have all the people behind the camera just making this movie work, and, and just the amount of work, because like even the Robocop suit, for instance, which is like this iconic suit, th- that team was just like working around the clock, making sure that suit always looked good over and over again, you know? And um, one of the things that we've talked about a few times in this uh discussion is this shot that's right behind us right and they talk about how they were there was multiple ideas for like what the poster for robocop could be and uh they decided to go with this image which is just a shot from the dailies but boy holy shit, does this image have like magic to it like it makes sense that this is the image they, they show this image over and over again in this documentary about it clicking it. it's like they made this piece of art this amazing suit and they've just used it over and over again in the imagery you know a part machine part man all cop you know just this great fucking thing um you know it's it's funny because one other thing uh the trailers you know trailers have obviously changed since we were kids too right and robocop had this sort of like cheesy trailer with like synthetic music and it just looked really bad. And then they had this other guy come in and do a RoboCop trailer. And like, I think that really helped get them. Did the, you notice you
1: at the end of the, the good trailer that the music was very Terminator-esque? Oh, it, it,
0: it literally was Terminator. They said they oh, used the music from
1: Terminator. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I, I must've missed that. Cause I'm like, Oh, that I, I'm like, dun, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Terminator, I did because uh, one thing that I I found kind of funny in that that last little epilogue is they're talking the actors, the the producers, the the filmmakers. They're talking about how like people come up to them and they're like, oh, you know, RoboCop was my first favorite movie. And then it's like, you know, my dad took me to see this when I was like eight years old. and They're all like, what kind of parent would do that? And I'm like. What do you mean what kind of parent would do that? That's, like, that's... That's you. Yeah, hi. <laughs> but, but like, my... The reason that, like, Terminator made me think of that is because, like, Terminator came out in 91. Terminator 2 came out in 1991. And I remember seeing the preview on TV and looking right. at my dad and going, I need to see this movie. Yeah,
0: and I was yeah. nine. I
1: was nine yeah. years old. And... My dad, and I remember my dad going, Okay, well, it's Terminator 2, which means you have to watch the first one. So we went to the video store, we rented the, the Terminator from 1984, which has a, 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 a. When you're nine years old and you're watching the movie with your parents, it has the longest sex scene ever in the middle of it, yes. along with all the, the sci fi action violence. Oh, I know. And I watched that movie. And my dad took me to the movie theater and Terminator 2 is the first movie I ever saw multiple times in the theater. And if if you know anything about me, I will go see the same movie. Like it's all because of Terminator 2 seeing it three times when I was nine years old. right? And like I was that kid who like whose dad took him to the movies to see, you know, there were many times where the phrase don't tell mom was uttered when we sat down in the theater. Uh, Yes. Most notably- Especially when you went to go
0: see Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead.
1: Well, (laughs) mainly when my dad took me at 12 to see From Dusk Till Dawn. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But, and you know, like, I feel like that's part of that 80s tradition of like, I don't want to say making bad choices, of just selective parenting. Like, if you're, as a parent, you want your children- to enjoy the things that you enjoy because then it helps bonding with your kids. You have, you know, things like this with pepper that, you know, you guys share things that you grew up enjoying. Right. Right, And it's the same thing for, for, for all of us. We grew up with RoboCop. We grew up with, you know, violent action movies and horror movies and being exposed to them way too young. It's why we love the genres. It's why we love the stuff we love. It's because not because it scarred us for life. It's because it, it was like, Holy shit. I I shouldn't be watching this. And it made us lifelong fans. So yeah, I showed my daughter the exorcist when she was nine and on Sunday, October 1st, when it comes back to the movie theater for its uh, 50th anniversary screening, I'm probably gonna take her to the movies to see it. Oh, You know, it's it's like yeah, you know, a nice sweet daddy daughter. I'm actually uh, in a couple hours. I'm actually taking her to uh, a Nighthawk Cinema by me. Uh, to she's going to see Pan's Labyrinth for the first time. I'm like super oh, excited. I have yeah, yeah, that's good. I haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth in the theater since it came out, which I think is uh, more than fifteen, maybe twenty years ago now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I'm really now.
1: excited for Charlotte to see that. Uh, but yeah, that's like, I was so, it was so weird to me that they're like, who would take an eight-year-old to see RoboCop? And I'm like, everybody.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, my, my parents didn't take me to, to the theater to see RoboCop. I was only five yeah. when it came out. The, the, you know, my, my parents would do this weird thing where they would, like, take me to see R-rated movies, and if they thought like, sex or something was coming up, or, like, a really bad, like, maybe torture scene or gore scene, they would cover my eyes, you know? Which I think is actually worse, because then you start to imagine things that are worse than what is actually on the screen. But I have a lot of experience with these sort of these 80s violent movies, because, and they talk about this in the documentary, that they made so many toys and cartoons, based yeah. on these things. Like there's the Robocop cartoon. I remember the Robocop cartoon from when I was a kid,
1: yeah. you know? the, the I remember, uh, I remember that my, my, my mother would not let me buy. I, he, man, uh, Thundercats, uh, all good transformers. Good. Uh, GI Joe. I was not allowed to buy mm. because GI Joe had guns and my mother didn't want me to have, she was like, yeah, I guess they could kill each other with swords. Uh, but she didn't like the idea of me playing with something that had, like, toy reali- realistic uh, guns. So yeah. G.I. Joe was the only toys that I weren't allowed to buy. But, like, we we grew up in the action figure generation. We grew up where every movie had a marketability to it, and they show some of the toys, the, like, where RoboCop has the cap action. Mm-hmm. Where I like, have shooting that. And the, the cap guns. Yep. And then you think to yourself, man, if I would have kept that, it still worked. How much you could probably get for it
0: now? (laughs) Yep. I I had him and I had Ed 209, the Capgun Ed 209, too. I'm like, motherfucker, yeah. I do wish I had it still. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, this movie had a tremendous impact. And the, the beauty of this documentary is that you see, like, all the work, all the blood, sweat, and gears to steal their title that went into making this movie and it's funny because like the title of this particular installment is called uh murphy and the machine and i kind of knew that they were going to talk about like how robocop affected the film industry and like what its impact was in the pop culture and that they, that's what this like second half of this part was all about they, they even mentioned uh robocop 2 and robocop 3 and, and one of the people i can't remember who's doing the talking at that point says you know some people do like two. Pretty much nobody likes three, they said. Um it's, there, it's hard to find someone that likes three. And I uh they talk about I
1: don't hate three.
0: Right, right, yeah. I
1: I also think it 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 says a lot that they literally talked about the two sequels in about a combined 35 seconds. <laughs> right. Like they this is not a documentary about the franchise of Robocop. This is about the the movie 1987's Robocop directed by Paul Verhoeven. And they were like, Oh, yeah, there was a part two, some people like it. There is a part three, very few people like it, and back to Robocop. <laughs> right. and, and I think that it kind of speaks volumes because I do think the sequels there with anything, there is a law of diminishing returns unless you have like some kind of major like, change of the game. So, like, aliens, you go from one creature to all the creatures and the alien queen. Big change. Terminator. Arnold is the unstoppable villain, and then all of a sudden, he's the good guy. That That's like a... But, like, RoboCop is RoboCop. And he's RoboCop yeah. in Part 2, fighting different villains. He's RoboCop in Part 3, fighting a, a different kind of villain. And it just... They don't work and hold up as well. Uh, and then you lose a lot of the, uh, the comedy and you lose a lot of the sociopolitical stuff, even though I do think they are worth watching. Uh, a lot of the cast members carry over like Nancy Allen is in the, uh, the police chief uh, Johnson, uh, the, the guy in the boardroom is in, I think he's in part two, maybe part three. Like there, there is some carryover, uh, yeah. but not Paul Verhoeven, uh, you know, Peter Weller di- dipped out after part two. So, you know, I think they're worth a one-time watch, and that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, yeah, really good point, yeah. So, I mean, there's probably not going to be a RoboDoc for those two movies, but no. we are very lucky there was a Doc for this. Uh, you know, my birthday is uh, less than a Coming week up. away now. Friday the 29th, right? And oh, I'll do a little shout-out. Do you know whose birthday was two days ago? Stephen King. Stephen King. And then yesterday, uh, Brian Keene, uh, you might not be as familiar. I know your wife really likes Brian Keene. Um, and then I'm a big fan. Brian Keene is in my top five, just like Stephen King too, but his birthday was yesterday. So his birthday is a week before mine, but, uh, I'm just, the reason why I'm bringing up my, my birthday is because, you know, I make an Amazon list just like everybody. And my list is all like RoboCop inspired. Now I want a little RoboCop statue and shirt and stuff. So we'll see, uh, if my wife delivers, but, um, I'm just really glad that I watched this documentary and I'm kind of sad that we don't get to watch it anymore and we don't get to talk about it. But Danny, did you want to tell people what else is available if they like to listen to us talk about RoboCop?
1: Well, now we have all four of our episodes covering RoboDoc, uh, the creation of RoboCop. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's on Box, uh, And the, the makers of that documentary, uh, Christopher Griffiths, uh Eastwood Allen, they have um a- and the guys that they work with, Gary Smart, uh John Campo Piano, they have a-, a bunch of documentaries that are always available uh on the streaming services, whether it's Screenbox with their uh Robert Englund one, they have a great uh Pet Cemetery one that came out years ago. I think there's a Hellraiser 2 documentary floating oh. out there in the ether. Um, yeah, they have a bunch of really cool horror docs. Uh, but as far as our channel goes, I, by the time you are watching this, I will have put up a uh, preview, a fall spooky season preview. It's officially the fall. Summer is over. Uh, and we have probably our busiest six week span of the year coming up. <laughs> yeah. Uh Obviously, it's Halloween season. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of shows that we are going to be covering from uh Chucky and Creepshow coming back, uh, which I have been doing reviews of. Uh, Pete's more than welcome to jump on those. But Pete and I are going to be covering Netflix's last Mike Flanagan series.
0: Oh. The Fall.
1: Yeah. Uh, he. I think he officially signed uh, to maybe go over to Prime. Uh, and this is the last Netflix produced. The Fall of the House of Usher is coming out on... Uh, Thursday, October 12th, um, there's a film festival. I'm not sure which one because there's so many going on right now. And I don't want to say the wrong name. But yeah. they 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 had episodes one and two play as like a movie screening. And the oh, cool. word so far is that it's awesome. Duh. And that Carlo Gugino steals the show. I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> you know, we started this channel three years ago because we love Mike Flanagan films. So anytime that there is Flanagan work coming out, it is extra exciting for us. I think the fall of the house of usher is going to be eight episodes, which means we will probably do what we did with this series and we will make it a, you know, four week, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe we'll try to do two weeks since Netflix just throws everything out there and do two episodes at a time, uh, of that show. Uh, there's so many horror movies coming out next Saturday. I think we just decided before we started recording, we're going to be re- reviewing. No one will save you the new Brian Duffield sci-fi horror film on Hulu. Yeah. Uh, I've been a huge Brian Duffield fan. Uh, one of the best horror uh, screenwriters and directors uh, over the last several years. Uh, there's, I mean, we did exorcist month.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, not great. too long
1: ago, Exorcist yep. Believer is coming out. Right. Um, the Exorcist is returning to theaters. Uh, there's just so much content uh, coming out. And I will be going to all four all four days of New York Comic Con, October 12th through the 15th. The week after that is Brooklyn Horror Film Fest, which I will be going to at least three events or three films uh, during that. Um, so I, I'm going to probably go kiss my wife and kids goodbye and I'll tell them I'll see them in November. Ah.
0: (laughs) Perfect, man. Perfect. Yeah. I got to say thank you to the people behind, uh, Robodoc because they have been, you know, we, we plug like these, uh, reviews and stuff. We always kind of tag people that are involved and they have been extremely supportive of our videos. So thank you so much. Uh, believe me, it is more than appreciated. And, everything that we've said about this documentary has been legit. Like we're not just saying it because you guys have supported us. Like it's just a lot of fucking fun. And uh, RoboCop essentially has like taken us from blockbuster season of the summer. He's taken us in his squad car all the way over to October where we're going to get real spooky. Yeah. So
1: considering that RoboCop was a summer release, it, it feels like a perfect, like yeah fall ended yesterday or two days ago. And now we can officially go into spooky season and get back from action sci-fi into full-blown horror
0: exactly yes fall ended in texas so now it's only a nice cool 97 so it's really good i
1: but, drove uh, my friend i drove my friend to the airport this morning where it's been a gorgeous like 70 to 75 all week in new york and yeah. he he's going back to louisiana where it's currently 98 degrees and i'm uh, like
0: damn yeah i feel his pain man i feel his pain but, uh, yeah, guys, thank you so much for watching our little coverage of RoboDoc. As Danny said, we have a ton of shit coming up on the cast. Make sure you guys have subscribed, and we will see you guys next week.